Hello and welcome to the 86th episode of Popcorn Optional, a weekly movies podcast where we talk all things movies. And tonight we are here to review the heartbreaking end to the trilogy, the beloved trilogy, How to Train Your Dragon, with the final chapter, The Hidden World. Uh, my name is Cameron Selena, and I'm joined tonight by Trevor Allison. Uh, yeah, it's good to be here talking about dragons and gold statues. We're going to talk Oscars because they happened and we're a movie podcast. So those two things, you know, tend to go together. So let's go ahead and get into the 2019 Oscars. There's a lot of like what you would expectedness with the exception of, I guess, best picture. But then again, this year was, I feel like best picture was kind of up in the air. Like anybody really could have won this one neither of us have seen green book but from the general rumor is that it shouldn't have one i don't know how to talk about it considering we haven't seen it i feel like a bunch of people are upset that this movie won i for a number based of reasons. on my twitter following and the websites that i read it seems like people are really mad and not just because of the I guess it's just to become known as like the white savior type aspect of the film, but more so because it's just not any good. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that, yeah, it seems that the complaints are twofold. One that it does not tackle race well. And especially in a, I feel like there were, I don't know, at least five movies I saw from last year that, that tackled race on some level in a really interesting way. And right. so there's the the race aspect, and then also the just not being that good of a movie. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. So that's interesting. It's always weird to me whenever the director who wins best director doesn't win best picture, because in my head, at least logically, the best directed film should also be the best film. It's even more interesting this year because. Everyone pretended like Brian Singer didn't exist anymore after the yes. the sexual assault allegations against him. Not that right. I not that I think that he should be winning awards or something, but it's but it was uh, definitely interesting for for like like that whole deal of Bohemian Rhapsody getting all these awards, but Brian Singer not being mentioned. But then we also have um, where it doesn't seem like anyone thought that that Peter Farrelly deserved to be best director either. Like, that wasn't even in the right. realm of conversation. So there's these... Right. Like, this, that that category has a lot of a lot of narrative behind it this year. Yeah, and once, you know, Quaron won best director, I thought it was kind of a lock that, oh, Roma's going to win best picture. Because it had, at least from the public perception uh, on film Twitter, it was that, you know, Green Book's going to win or... Roma's gonna win or Bohemian Rhapsody. It was kind of those three, even though, let's face it, I kind of feel like a star is born deserved to win. Let's just put it out there. But it's it's weird that that the people would vote for Quaron for director and not vote for Roma. This is the second time that he's won Best Director, but not won Best Picture. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I don't, I don't know what know. that means. <laughs> At least in my head, like if I'm going to vote for somebody for best director, I'm going to vote for their movie for best film. At least if I was voting, if I was a voting member of the Academy. The only times I can think that I that I might vote differently is if there was a film that I felt was like exceptionally well acted, but had like some narrative issues, maybe. And I could. But don't you think? I mean, because the director's job is so much more than just like conducting actors. It's 
how you creatively tell this story. And I feel like, I don't know, to me, it's like if you are the director, you're the CEO, creative director behind whatever company you are. And, you know, win or lose, that's on you. But if your company is the most profitable at the end of the year, it's not because, you know, it doesn't mean that like this other company that wasn't, I'm trying to explain it in business terms, which probably isn't the most creative way to do this, but... I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. And that's something that's always bothered me because it's happened well, in many years. It also has, I mean, it, both of those categories are, are two of the original Academy Award categories going back to um, 1929. And right. that was a time in which the director's role was much smaller in the overall outcome of a film than it is now. Yes. Um, then the director was not thought of as the CEO of the picture and the, the producer was the yes. director was there to make sure the minutia of things went well, but the overall vision was the producer. So right. I think that's really the director I'm, was the Michael Scott and the producer was the David Wallace. Sure. Right. So I'm not <laughs> even sure why like you could make an argument that the best director category doesn't even need to exist anymore. Now that we are, I mean, we've pretty well established since the sixties and seventies that, that the direct, like kind of the, the auteur theory of the director is the one writing the play or writing the book, so to speak of the movie. Yeah, that's true. Uh, as far as acting categories go, another weird one, because I haven't seen any film, in which actor won best actor or actress in Bohemian Rhapsody with Rami Malek, Olivia Coleman in the favorite Mahershala Ali in green book, Regina King at Beale street. I have, I've, I have seen none of those so of the, of the big eight, you know, the four acting best picture, best director. And then the two screenplays I've seen two of the six or of the seven films that won eight, five films. Yeah, I've only seen one. Roma is the only thing I've seen that won any of those categories. I've seen Black Klansman, and I'm pumped for Spike Lee because that film is incredible, and I'm glad that he won. Also, his acceptance of like him jumping on Samuel L. Jackson was pretty. That was pretty iconic. Also, also, I didn't know what he said when he first got up there because they bleeped out the whole thing. (laughs) But but he said, "Don't turn on that mother effing mute." music i have some things to say <laughs> yeah I which is awesome when... because he probably should have won i don't know three or four oscars by now and should yeah. have had plenty of time to say what he needed to say up on the stage yeah and it's it's funny because oh, i guess not funny but he when green book won supposedly tried to walk out of the theater yeah that's what i heard he, and he tried to also leave. when they wouldn't let him he just turned he went back to his seat but turned his back on the stage so that's that's interesting. And then afterwards, uh, he made a comment at like the press uh, room about how, because he had previously lost when Do the Right Thing won to Driving Miss Daisy. So his comment was, anytime somebody's driving somebody, I'm going to lose. <laughs> oh, I felt pretty, pretty spot on. Best animated feature, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, well-deserved. Uh, it's exciting. Weird that uh, Pixar film came out this year and nobody really talked about it after Spider Man in Incredibles Two. Yeah, Incredibles Two was like the most. All right, that was fine. Film of twenty eighteen. <laughs> it was the most mediocre. Yeah, by far. But that being said, like I've rewatched it since it's come out on DVD, and 
I enjoy yeah, it. Like I like it quite it's, a bit. It's it's better on the second watch, actually. I I thought I've seen it twice as well. Uh, foreign film Roma. Not really a surprise there. Yeah, I could have seen. I, I sort of thought Cold War might get it. I could see yeah. someone splitting the vote if if you're going to vote Roma for best picture to vote something else yep. for best foreign film. But yep. also of note, because they are producers on Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are now Academy Award winners, which considering that a year ago at this time they were getting fired from Solo, <laughs> or was that two years ago? Last year. It was a it was it was like two, two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Okay. Interesting two years for them, but it's kind of a weird turnaround. Documentary feature Free Solo, which oh. of the ones that I have seen is the best. I'm so excited to see that. It's oh, incredible. Man. I can't recommend it just, enough. I just the the fact that it exists is insane. Like yeah. like that someone did that and that they were able to video it. Like yeah. like just the idea that that it, it even is is like it doesn't I'm not even sure it matters how good the movie is. <laughs> like it's just an insane achievement to even make it. So, here's I think I've seen it. So I I saw it in IMAX and then I loved it so much that I bought it and I think I've watched it 3 times since then. And every time I've watched it, like the first time I watched it, it was just the spectacle of this guy's climbing 3,000 feet with no rope and finger holds that are millimeters, you know, thick. And then once you start to get past that, it's like, okay, this is, and I've even heard the director say this, like, this is a love story. Like, it's really about, like, him and his relationship with his girlfriend. And there's so many elements to it. I really do think it's a great documentary. That being said, I would have been pumped if Minding the Gap had won. And it's oh, still yeah. weird that uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor wasn't even nominated. Mining the Gap is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. It's yeah. really incredible. No surprise, an original song, Shallow. Uh, that was the lock was, of the night. D- no yeah, question. was there any surprise at all? Like that was If you were going to bet, that was the one to bet on. Also, that performance, I had to go lie down after that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I thought it was... I thought Lady Gaga was good. I thought Bradley Cooper was did a very good Eddie Vedder impersonation. <laughs> well, it's because he he was singing without doing the Jackson Maine voice. So I yeah, I still don't think that even if he I don't know I'm not sold on Bradley Cooper as a singer. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I think I think he works as Jackson Maine. Yes. But I don't know that I don't think he's I don't think he's going to be in musicals anytime soon. Right. I think that if he wants to egot, I think his best chance is in some sort of like non-singing Broadway role. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the night other than this, you know, if you start to get into the technicals is pretty standard. You know, you have sound editing going to Bohemian Rhapsody and sound mixing going to Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, fine whatever cinematography to roma that was pretty safe i don't i don't know that roma was the best cinematography of the year but it was the best of everything that was nominated which is a weird thing to say i think there were probably three or four movies that were better shot than anything that was nominated but i feel like that's the story of the night every time a movie won my thought was more of for example um best score black panther won that's fine 
but it's not the even in the top three best scores of the year. If I'm ranking them, it's First Man, If Beale Street Could Talk, Annihilation, Black Klansman, and then maybe Black Panther. The, f- the First Man score not being nominated is an even bigger snub than Won't You Be My Neighbor to me. It's just so yes. clearly superior to everything else. Which is maybe like, maybe they didn't, people just thought like, oh, it's going to get nominated. I'm not exactly sure how the nomination process works. Yeah, I'm also like I don't the the I my my hot take on Bohemian Rhapsody winning awards is that I think people were rewarding the film for firing Brian Singer and never mentioning him again. That's kind of mm-hmm. what it felt like to me. And what's what's cool and what makes me hopeful is that the guy who took over reshoots is the director of the new John or Elton John rocket man film with taron egerton yes and i think i don't know i may have mentioned it on here before but i was telling one of my friends if from what the trailers look like i'm usually against biopics especially music biopics but i hope they make this thing like trippy as hell and And i think it's going to be and that's the way to make a decent film out of this like like um i think that i tanya might be the best biopic i've ever seen um really because it just it doesn't it tells you a story in such an interesting way and and i think that rocket man is not going to be the same kind of movie but can do the same kind of thing i am excited for rocket man especially after there was a video that went out online of taron egerton and elton john singing a tiny dancer at an after party and taron egerton can actually sing pretty good He's actually super talented. So that that got me excited. I'm like, okay, it's not going to be, you know, Rami Malek lip singing to Freddie Mercury. And then lastly, you know, VFX, First Man. That's pretty exciting. At least First Man won something. I, that's still I, a huge I, snub to me, that not getting anything yeah, outside I, of that. I didn't think it was going to win. I, was, I actually picked something else in our predictions, but I was pleasantly surprised because it should have won. That what that film does from a technical aspect is insane. I thought it also should have won sound editing because yeah. the way that the sound of this movie really punches you in the face. See, um, I'm still on that quiet place should have won sound editing. I don't get how that's another category that I, I go back and go, how is that missed? How is that not? Cause I was even nominated. That's sound is that movie. That movie doesn't exist without sound and the editing in it is fantastic. Although but, my, my favorite thing of the night, which is kind of the last, the last couple things we haven't touched on yet is black Panther deservedly winning costume design and production design. Yeah. What Anna Beachler, Jay Hart and Ruthie Carter did to create the world of Wakanda is astounding. It's, right. It's and beautiful, I, it's immersive, it's just something else completely. I think Hannah Beachler's speech was probably my favorite of the night. Uh maybe hers or Olivia Coleman's. Olivia Coleman's was fun because I don't think anybody thought Olivia Coleman was actually going to win. She definitely didn't herself. think she was going to win. Right. <laughs> Which understandable like it was a it very much seemed like it was going to be the career win for Glenn Close and then out of nowhere Olivia Coleman wins and she had like a genuine shock and that was kind of fun to watch all right so how did you feel about the no host situation oh I loved it this was the this was the most fun I had watching an Oscars ceremony um I know that I maybe care about the awards more than the average person 
Um, so I don't need the song and dance numbers. I don't need the, like I joked about last week, the going to the theater across the street to surprise regular people. Like I don't, I don't need that stuff. And I thought this was great. I thought what they did was clever and giving the funny people that were presenting a couple of minutes to be funny and then right. do their thing and move on. Like um, Melissa McCarthy and Brian Tyree Henry. And yes, in what I would say should win. I don't know. Is there an Emmy for best award show costume? <laughs> There's um, an Emmy for best award or for best live broadcast. Well, I mean, I spent Melissa McCarthy trying to open that envelope with a rabbit puppet on her hand is the hardest. I laughed all night. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I've laughed harder at that than I have at any other Oscar moments in the past couple of years. That was that other was, than, other than the Jimmy Kimmel moment where they were doing the like movies that inspire us, and it was uh-huh. We Bought a Zoo with Matt Damon. Yes, <laughs> I also that, that, loved I, the 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 comedy triple threat of Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, and Maya Rudolph. That is how you start your show if you don't have a host. Yes, you stick three hilarious people on stage and let them be hilarious. Yes. I don't know. What did you think about not having a host? I thought it worked well overall. If Here's the thing. I don't mind a four-hour broadcast. Like I'm one of those people probably in the minority that's like, I want to see every category. I want people. And if it's like everybody gives a five-minute speech, fine. Like they, You just did something incredible. You deserve to have your time to say what you want. Like Don't play people off. Just let the broadcast run. That being said, I thought that it went well this year. It was not... There was kind of no frills. It was just, hey, here's this, this one. Cool. And that's that was how it should be. Um, I can't really think of anything that I would have cut or done differently. I thought it worked worked well overall. That being said, though, every year we do a little bet here where we put up a Razzie winner. Loser? Razzie? What do you, what would winner. you call it? You win worst picture. Yes. So whoever loses the Oscars bet has to watch the best worst, whoever won worst picture at the Razzies. This year it was Holmes and Watson, the Will Ferrell, John C. Riley film. And what we do is we do one for tech. We do two for screenplay, three for acting, five points for directing and picture. And uh, within tech is also one point for direct or for documentary and animated and we don't do anything for short films because none of us have seen any of them. And so it doesn't really, it feels like just like a crapshoot. Last year, uh, I had 25 points. Trevor had 14 and Jake had 23. Trevor had to watch the Emoji movie. Yeah, that's right. I did. And from the depths of Trevor's 14, he almost doubled his score with a 27. Hey, look out. Getting first place. And then Jake and myself fought it out for second place and ultimately jake ended up falling and uh we'll now have to watch holmes and watson so get for get, get excited <laughs> for a little mini review from jake about holmes and watson there you go but now here's the thing like part of me wants to watch that now just to be like how bad is that movie it has a zero percent on rot- how do they go from talladega nights stepbrothers to this <laughs> they went from it because it's the same jokes in a different costume <laughs> yeah that's probably true <laughs> trying to make a selfie with a large format massive 15 pound camera <laughs> pretty original stuff oh, but man. yeah 
Well, that's all we have for the Academy Awards. Let's go ahead and get to How to Train Your Dragon. And Trevor, I don't know if we've talked about this or I've just seen your letterboxed reviews on this, but am I to understand that you're kind of mediocre on these films in general? Oh, um, not really. Um, I, I like them. Um, I kind of have a weird relationship. I, for a multitude of reasons, I guess, had not seen them until recently. Um, like just a few weeks ago, I watched the first two a few days apart. Um, I thought they were really good. I, I really enjoyed them. Um, I've recently come to the realization that I don't like most kids movies. Um, (laughs) and I think it's because I'm much too serious and snobby, I guess. I, I don't really know why, but, um, I like Pixar, but, um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed them. I thought they're good and fun. I don't have I don't have that um that lengthy I don't have the emotional weight of time that goes with them. I didn't see, you know, the first one nine years ago in the theater, the surprise hit that it was. Um and so I don't have I don't kinda have that relationship with the characters and, and hanging on to it. I, I liked the first two. I thought um the first the second one is probably a little bit better than the first one. Um, I loved, I love the scores of these. I, I think the animation is really good. I don't love the visual style. It's not my favorite kind of thing, but, um, but I think they look really nice. Um, I think the worst part of them actually, um, to give a kind of mini review of the series, I guess, is the voice acting is not always great. Are there it's certain also, people that are off for you? I think that, that we need to decide whether these people have accents or not. Um, like whether they're Scottish, because you, right, know, you have like Craig right. Ferguson are in they, there, and then Gerard yeah, Butler, and then right. Hiccup. Are they Scottish? Are they American? Are they Canadian? Are they Scandinavian? Um, I think that I think that Jay Baruchel is really good. I think that everyone else, for the most part, is fine. Um, I think that America Ferrera was pretty bad in the first one, um, and got better. Um, Kate Blanchett is Kate Blanchett. That's not ever going right. to change but same with um, gerard butler right for better or for worse right exactly exactly but yeah i think i think that's actually maybe the worst part of them not that it's bad or anything um and i think it, it got better but yeah i i enjoy i enjoy these movies I, I like i said i have a weird relationship coming to them soon i know that you um kind of go way back and really love them yeah i saw the first movie oddly enough i couldn't sleep one night and it was a weekend and we were at out of town at a friend's house my freshman year of college. And so I ended up watching the first one on my laptop and instantly was just like, do I, this is a kid's movie, right? But I, I love it. This is incredible. And then watched a couple more times and just loved it. And then when the second one came out, I feel like that really solidified my love for this series because I think while the first one's an A, I think the second one's an improvement in every way. It takes the world, expands it in new and exciting ways while offering like shocks and twists and turns. And, you know, it gives every character some sort of development. It progresses relationships. I think it's exactly what a sequel should be. And I think it's one of the better sequels. I say not even animation, one of the better sequels of all time. I think I think the the first one has what I for better or worse refer to as the high school musical conundrum which is where you don't realize how good the thing is that you have and you don't spend enough money on it. Right. Um the, and then you the realize first, how good it is. Right. The you first go, oh, one Oh, we can make a lot of money off of this. Right. The first one is too short. 
it does yeah. some things too quickly. It should be about 20 minutes longer. Um, but I understand if you're making a one-off kids movie based on a, um, based on a book that's mediocrely popular, um, and your dream works and you're, you've been putting out flushed away and over the hedge. You don't necessarily think that this movie about a dragon is going to be any better, you know? Um, right. So, but, but, which is kind of frustrating now to look back and think about it. Cause I think, um, Hiccup is a great character. This is a really interesting idea. Um, I'm actually like, I'm interested in reading the books now, although I found out they're all kind of long, like at least three or 400 pages. Um, oh wow. I didn't know that. I them. thought they were like kids, like yeah, color I, book type I, yeah, like picture thought, books. Yeah. I thought they were lower level reading as well. Huh? I'm not sure I have the time to commit to that. Um, right. But maybe like when my daughter is like eight or nine years old, we can read them together or something. Um, I would definitely yeah. be interested in that. I think one of my favorite things about this series is how it's progressed. The characters like, in the nine yeah. years that it's happened, I feel like, it, much like Harry Potter, I've grown up with these characters. Like, I was a freshman in college, and not to get too spoilery, but it's like now I'm a dad with kids, and where this series leaves is in a pretty similar spot. Yeah. And there's real growth, which not something that usually happens in animated films, but there's real growth in these characters. Like, they're different people. It, at right. the end of their journeys than they are at the beginning of their journeys. Pretty much everyone of, in the series. Right. And instead of just, you know, we'll not to get too much into the movie, but instead of just having certain elements of relationships play in between movies, they go deep into those and explore those and make those a part of the movie. And I'm sad to see this go, but at the same time, I love that they, before this movie even came out, said, hey, we're going to make three and then we're going to be done. We want to end this on our terms. And I think that they've made, you know, getting into general thoughts, I think they've made a complete trilogy that I would say rivals Toy Story as the best animated trilogy of all time. Okay. I really believe so. Okay. I think that the third movie delivers on everything from the first two movies and ends the trilogy in a beautiful, loving, satisfying way. Uh, it's, I teared up multiple times towards the end. I don't know how much of that is personal things, of me relating to certain things, of where I'm at in life and where the characters end in life, uh, or if it's just, you know, the movie is that good. And that's part of the thing is, as well, and I, I think we talked about this when we did Harry Potter, but it's hard to give a fair analysis on things like this when it's like you've grown up with it. Uh-huh. And I don't know, is that something that because you've watched it recently, you feel like you have a clearer view on how these, on how good these actually are. Am I being a little bit I'm, too emotional? I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I can say that I have a clearer view or a more accurate one. I definitely don't have quite that much emotion in it. I mean, I definitely, um, got a little teary and, and, and felt it a little bit near the end of this film, um, just by virtue of the story and everything. But like I said, I don't have that, I don't have that connection to this that's, that's existed over time. Um, and that's kind of, and that's kind of the difference to me and what keeps this from being, um, what the, the whole trilogy really for being truly great to me is I, I don't think it has great villains. Um, 
I think the story mm. has. I think the villains are fine. I don't think they're necessarily like cookie cutter or plain or anything. I just don't think they're as compelling as they could be. That's what that's what keeps this from being like a truly upper echelon thing for me. Do you think? Because here would be my argument: is that the villain always serves the story, and so the villain in the first one isn't as much of a villain. Like his dad's partially a villain, but it's also just right. like this environment of trying to make people understand who he is. And then the second one, I feel like that's Drago Bloodvist is a great villain because he challenges Hiccup on a whole di- like where Hiccup wants to conquer the dragons and rule them as not necessarily rule them, but like have them with him from a, like, I love dragons. They're great. Drago is more of a sinister, but I do, I'm not sure that I'm sold. If I was going to say there's a weak part of this movie, it is the villain of this movie. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I think these movies get better each one. I think that this is the best in the series, but I think that the villains got progressively worse each time. I think that, that the villain slash antagonist, the struggle that you have of kind of stoic himself and then plus kind of the unseen giant evil volcano dragon um in the first one and i think that the drago is interesting um in some ways but then um i'm totally blanking on his name um Uh, f F murray abraham yeah (laughs) um (laughs) he um he's just he's just bad because he had a bad day one time when he was a kid and that kind of villain doesn't really appeal to me um, I feel but, like his villain, the, the extent to um, like the, because of the stakes that are raised by him, he becomes really important and he's interesting, but, but he himself is not really compelling. Right. And I would say that part of that is because this villain is almost a combination of stoic when stoic was opposed to dragons in the first film and Drago. Yeah, it did have this kind of we've been here before feel to it. Yes. And that was the annoying part was I I feel like I said this earlier. Every film has progressed the previous film somehow. This was one that if they're going for it of a like we want a culmination of the villains like this is a little bit of both. I get that, but I don't think it worked. Because I don't really think that it gave Hiccup as much to play off of. It was almost like I was way more interested in the losing toothless, like not necessarily losing toothless, but trying to figure out like what to do with toothless and the light fury situation and trying to find the hidden world. I was much more interested in that than I was in the Grimmel trying to take all the dragon side of things. Right. Right. Definitely. Do you yeah, think over, so? You said that this is the third. You, th- you think this is the best of all yeah, three? Overall, I think I think this is a really fitting end to a really epic trilogy. Um, I think to what really seals. I guess we'll get into spoilers. We've kind of touched on some things already, but what what really seals the greatness of this film is how perfectly it kind of ties this this story up into a nice little package, um, yep. and how it it it's in. <laughs> In the day of in the day of the sequel, the age of the sequel that we are in, it firmly says, "This is our story. We're finished with our story, and that's it." Right. And it does it in such a way that is in a way that's beautiful, in a way that makes sense. 
Um, it's eminently logical. And our character, our, our main characters were not in a place, even at the beginning of this movie, where they could have accepted this ending. Right. But based on what happens in the film, our characters have grown such to an understanding that this is the way that not only things are going to be, but the way that things need to be with the dragons being on their own, the people being on their own and not because they don't want to be with each other, but because that's just the way the world is at this point. Um, It's a really, it's a really interesting, interesting thing. And it's a really kind of, it's a really good lesson. I think in some ways about um, accepting things that you can't change. I think that right. all these movies and, have a really good moral to them that that is kind of the staple of a good kids movie, and, and I really like that. That's kind of a a really heavy thing and a really it's a simple thing but a difficult thing. And I think right. it it's shows that understanding. Really well. Yeah, it's that understanding of like sometimes what's best for someone else isn't what's best for you, but if you love them and you want what's best for them, then that option that's hardest for you is the option that you need to proceed with yeah and that's i tried to think about that from like a you're right trevor it's it's that moral story of like if my son is you know four years older and a little bit more you know we get out of a movie and he's asking questions i think that's an incredibly powerful theme to understand yeah like i mean i can totally see a kid like a like an eight-year-old who's seen the other two movies loves them and just like ends this movie in tears just like completely devastated by what happens here and i think that's a really a really good um a really good example as a parent for a a lesson for your kids yeah or a 28 year old man at the theater by himself you know (laughs) crying as he walks out of the theater that because he feels like he just said goodbye to his friends for the last time or something yeah and I think that's the, that's the most powerful thing. I've I've said this about Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, the show Parenthood, The Office. I think that what makes those visual forms of storytelling the best is that at the end of the series, you really feel like this is your family or people that you personally know, and saying goodbye is incredibly hard. And I felt that exact same feeling at the end of this movie of, you know, I, I, this is the last time we'll see Hiccup and Toothless and Astrid and all these characters on screen together. And that was just kind of a... They handle it in such a delicate way that it's not too much, but it is definitely like a hard thing to just kind of go with and just let go, you know? Yeah, definitely. So let's get into some of the more spoilery, I guess, topics in this film because there, there's some things I want to get into. So if you haven't seen How to Train Your Dragon 3, it seems like you're one of few because it made buku bucks this weekend, which I'm always curious. Like, do they sit there after the third film and go, ah, oh, dang it, this was our most profitable yet. Okay, maybe we make a fourth. Like, And there's definitely room for them to make a fourth. I, I think. But I would um, respect them so much more if they didn't. I I think that we may have some spinoffs in our future. Mm. That's that's what I would say is the most likely thing. Yeah, like in 2020, you have like the great grandson of Stoic, great 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 grandson, and then like dragons come back. 
Yeah, something something like that. That's what that's yeah. that's probably what's going to happen here. Um okay, so <clears throat> one of the things I want to talk about is the to use a guess a British soccer term, the relegation <laughs> of two characters, uh Eret and Eret's kind of given this like back seat role. It's fun to have him in there kind of like Hey, he's still there, but not really given much. But the other one is Valka, played by Kate Blanchett. Do you feel like she's given a necessary role in this movie? Yeah, I think that I, I would have liked to see more of both of them. I think that Eret is the most interesting of the kind of younger dragon riders, um, mm-hmm. besides Hiccup and Astrid. Um I I think that he kind of has, um, I don't know, just kind of an interesting side to him, an interesting backstory. Um, I think he's also the least like stereotypical or like one dimensional. He's the least one dimensional of all the other right, characters. Yeah, everyone else is like straight out of a any random children's movie side character. Yes. Um, and and I I'm, I was kind of sad to see uh, to not see as much from him or Volka, who I think is really interesting and. And I really don't, I really think that the second movie could have dug a little bit more into her, except that there was too other, too many other things going on. But I think ultimately, um, unless, outside of making this movie two and a half hours, which I think you could do well, um, that they didn't need any more time as frustrating right. as it may have been, because at the end of the day, there, this movie isn't being made for us to go see it it's being made for us to take our kids to go see it or to buy it for our kids to i don't watch know it if home. i fully agree with that because well, and, and here, here's my logic behind that i don't think that toy story 3 is 100 percent meant for kids either i think it was more meant for people our age when it came out and what it deals with with andy moving on and everything i think is very similar to this film of that at some yeah. point in life, you have to let things go. And with growing up with that, I think that th- I would say, at least my audience, there was other, like, just adults in there. That being said, like, it was probably 50-50 split of groupings between, like, adults and kids with adults. I guess what I'm saying is, is that if Miyazaki had made this movie, he would have found a way to give us more time <laughs> with those characters. <laughs> well, that's also Miyazaki, so that's a different... <laughs> right. That's a conversation for a different friend. <laughs> it definitely is. Yeah, I, I do agree that, um, especially with someone with the talent of Kate Blanchett, for her to be really play such a small role is a really interesting thing. Um, I don't think it's necessarily bad. Like I said, I think it it works for the whole story. Um, but it's also never necessarily a bad thing to have a really good movie that also has characters that you kind of want more from. Right. But there's a, there's a lot of characters or voices in this movie that I'm like, Oh, you're a much bigger deal than this role. Like the fact that you have Kristen Wiig or Jonah yeah, Hill voicing definitely random characters. A, these people weren't as big of a deal in 2010 and they're still in the series situation. Here. Right. <laughs> right. And there's also like David Tennant is one of the other warlords, which I didn't know until I started looking into yeah. stuff the other night. Yeah, he's also in one of the animated series. 
Oh, he is. Yeah, he's um the Jonah Hill's character. He's the dad in in the animated series. Oh, okay. Do you watch the animated series? Oh, I I just did a little bit of research on it today because I was kind of interested in. It. Have you seen any of, any of it? Here or there, I watched a little bit with my son, and it's actually not bad. I think Jay Baruchel is that how you say Jay Baruchel? Yeah, several. He, he and um, America Ferrera are in the did the, all the voices for the TV series too, right? Which, is which I know I don't think Jay is doing much. I know America Ferrera has that sh- show Superstore on NBC. Oh yeah, but I don't think either. I don't think Jay Baruch Jay. I'm just gonna say Jay. I don't think Jay's doing much, so that's not surprising. But people like Kit Harrington coming off of Game of Thrones. I mean, he's a big deal. So yeah. for him to just kind of have this small little role while filming the final season of Game of Thrones is kind of a surprising thing. Do you, is there anything that the series left you wishing for more of? Was there anything like when it all ended, you were like, man, I wish they had done more of this. I think I, I thought the, the like, dragon rescue vigilante thing at the beginning was a lot of fun um i would watch a whole movie of that um i also i think that and i and i i complain about this i i feel like all the time now but i think what happens between these movies would have also made really interesting movies um between the first and second one, we see them really building the society. We see Hiccup with all this really cool technology and equipment and everything. And then um, between two and three, we see kind of uh, Hiccup, you know, becoming the leader of this this clan and the the kind of dragon rescue thing and the building of this different kind of society on Burke. And I think, I mean, I know there has to be limits at some point, but I think that what happens in the gaps between the films um, would also have been really interesting to see. Yeah, I kind of love how they did that because to me it's that like Spider-Man thing of like, I don't necessarily need the origin story every time, but I want to see the fruits of it. And yes, there are times where I want to see it, but I think they did a good job here of understanding like, what's important for us to see what development do we need to see and what development can we kind of play off off screen such as you know this film gets a lot into the relationship of astrid and hiccup are they going to get married is it too soon what like everybody's forcing them to do this and i think that's it like they could have very easily between movies two and three been like yeah they're married now and just gone down the road. And I don't think anybody would have really blinked an eye, but I think that's a really interesting angle to play into as hiccup is dealing with this release and loss of his, I don't know if best friends, the right word. Cause I feel like they're like his family member. It's not his pet. It's so much more. It's such a different relationship, but somebody who he's incredibly close with and losing that while, entering into marriage is a very you know interesting angle to play and to show on screen instead of just not exploring it whatsoever what did you think about the whole angle of this like hidden world and how they because we're in spoilers how they kind of get rid of or release the dragons was that a satisfying conclusion to that or were you like man i 
wanted something more. Yeah, I think I think it was really cool, especially going all the way back to the first one of where where like the dragons are not inherently violent towards humans. They were just being forced to do these things um, by the evil. I don't know, whatever. I don't even know what it's called. The lava volcano dragon. Um, and, and I think that it's a nice kind of bookend where it shows like, it's almost like this, um, I don't know, Godzilla kind of thing where it's like, it's like maybe dragons were always supposed to be in their place and humans were always supposed to be in their place. And it's just for one reason or another, they're not ready to coexist. And, and I, and I thought, I thought that it was, um, I thought that it was nice. I thought that it worked really well. Um, I was very concerned on a philosophical level of the humans going to live there without the sun. Um, <laughs> I think that would be pretty weird. I don't, I don't know how our bodies would react to that. I was more um, worried about them living on a giant rock that you couldn't really get down to the base of without dragons. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, <laughs> I don't know why that was such a weird thought to me. I was like, wait, but without dragons, how do they get down to the water? Right. Right. So, but yeah, I I thought I thought it handled that well. What do you think? I thought it was done well. The whole light fury angle was interesting at times. I don't know. I think I like struggled with this whole idea of how he uses the light fury to capture the night fury. And I mean that in terms of it's all, it's like his big plan was always to use a light fury to capture the night fury, but how like if they fly all this distance and he's not really controlling her at this time. It was this weird game of is she bad? Is she good? Does she have this like I don't mean to play like the father role, but like what are her intentions with him? And it was I felt right. kept feeling myself like second guessing like how much does she know and is she playing into this of like trying to be to get him onto her side or how much is it you know she's doesn't really understand and is just there actually trying to like find love in a hopeless place why does she why does she go back to the bad guys when she's free right you know like the way that that whole thing is handled is sort of odd yeah, um, I do and agree. then at the end, it like made me suspicious. Like when it was actually time to be like, "Oh, she's actually good," it was like, "Yeah, but she's just kind of been on this like seesaw place for the rest of the film of like we don't know." And so now it's this weird feeling of like, "Okay, I guess she's good, sure." So we're just supposed you, to. Did you think that because of this? Did you think that the males were black and the females were white? Because that's what I thought, but the babies are white with black or black with white. I implying thought that, that exact same implying thing. Implying that there's a black species of this dragon and a white species of this dragon, which I'm fine but with. It, it just, right. that was like not necessarily made clear. That was kind of a yeah. weird thing to me. I think that's one of those like semantics areas yeah, for me. It's not a big deal. I just thought it was kind of strange. But it also got me thinking as as this does and I know that I know the people love when I ask the rules of the universe. Um <laughs> so 
can all dragons reproduce together like dogs or is the only certain kinds can reproduce with certain uh, kinds you know like could a night fury reproduce with some other dragon right. other than a light fury right huh. yeah you know like because because you know like I don't dogs, know. you can kind of crossbreed. And- right, exactly. But can you crossbreed dragons? Is that why there's so many different breeds? But then you have the 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 big time question. There is is what happens when you crossbreed a two headed dragon? Uh does the baby do definitely have half? two heads? Does it kind of have two heads? Huh. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. That's kind of you know to me that's in that whole. Where do the cars come from in cars question? Yeah, um, that's, yeah, that's, there's no good. (laughs) The longer you think about that, the worse it gets. Yes. And that's from somebody who I was always on the side of like, who watches cars? And trust me, since my son has started watching movies, we watch a lot of cars. And yeah, a lot. Three to six year old boys watch cars. Yes. And that being (laughs) said, I think the first and the third one are good movies. I think the second one isn't good at all and ruins the other two. So give them a try, people. I almost but, think of them more like I'm watching a like conceptual art display. I like to think of it like, like, like they what if we are everything into a car. That's like I like I don't, th- I don't care about the story. Think of, like Dale Earnhardt Jr. is at his therapist's office and he's using these cars as a way to express his emotions. And they're going to make a fourth one someday. And at the end of it, the plot twist is going to be that the cars were just representations of humans all along. Oh, man. Well, I will. I'll plug it again. The unified theory of Pixar speaks to this if you're interested, listeners. So Google that. Is... Coco was Pixar. I guess Coco yeah. would fit pretty easily into into the Pixar unified theory. Yeah, that's you just you just stick it in in the Toy Story era. Huh. It's not too hard. Hmm. I will also say I watched Inside Out again the other day, and I would go on record saying I think that that's one of the best animated movies of all time. I, there's no question. It's it's it's. The concept that it explores is like is just something else entirely. It's completely um, mind blowing, pun yeah. intended. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's kind of get to our our final thoughts and wrap up our review on How to Train Your Dragon. Do you have any closing thoughts? Um. Yeah, I think that um, <laughs> I think the end makes this have. Uh, I think the way this movie ends makes it feel like it could have happened in the real world, not a fantasy world in which we hear myths of dragons from a thousand years ago. Maybe that was true. Maybe this is a true story. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, this was, this was a a beautiful film, a really fun film. Um, I have a few nitpicky things here and there. I love the world building, just the, the constant expansion in this and, and the depth to which everything goes is really great. Um, this is, uh, it's also, um, I want to say, I meant to say at the beginning, this was, uh, we've seen three movies in 2019. This is the best one I think that I've seen. And also all three of them had colons in their titles. So <laughs> we're really on fire for year of the sequel. 
um this is a this was a really good movie that i really enjoyed i think it's a great closure to a series to a trilogy which is not something that happens a lot of times um, and i think it does a great job with that um, my rating for this is uh i'm gonna i'm gonna give this uh two and a half out of three dragons um i think there's a few things nitpicky there i i, I really liked it um and and yeah it was a good time nice yeah this is like i said earlier this sticks the landing it's it's up there with Toy Story, and I think that that would probably be that's a personal probably decision on my part. But I don't, I don't, I think if you were to put one against one and two against two and three against three, Toy Story may be better films, but I maybe like these films better. And yeah, this is an A for me. It's solid. Continues with the great development of characters, and that little epilogue scene is something that I've thought about a lot. Just. Oh, it's, it's like it's pure delight it's so sweet it's just so joyful and sweet it's it's like on the paddington level of delightful and joyful yes like just ultimate good feels the entire time yeah that's all we have for our review of how to train a dragon the hidden world let's get to our content of the week trevor what is your content of the week um all right so we're a few weeks behind but we started watching season six of brooklyn 99 on hulu um, and it nice. is um, wonderful, just like all the other seasons. Highly recommend Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Also, I watched, um, I guess, a, a sneak peek for next week. We're going to be doing our 10 years later Oscars, and I've been watching a few things to catch up. I watched um, a delightful little Coen Brothers film from 2008 called Burn After Reading the other night. And <laughs> it is a... Um, hilarious kind of political intrigue satire um, that if you if you like things like all the president's men or the good shepherd or that kind of stuff and you also want to make fun of that a little bit too then you should watch burn after reading it's also it's a really impressive movie in that it's basically one joke with a punchline at the end and with a couple of hilarious hijinks in between. Um, it's directed by the Coen brothers, written by them. Um, it has all their favorites, you know, George Clooney, Francis McDormand, Brad Pitt, um, uh, John Malkovich. It's, oh, Tilda Swinton, of course. Um, and it's just, it's just a, a delight. Nice. Um, I am going to recommend a podcast this week that I'm about halfway through. It's called the dropout. And it's about a company called Theranos. HBO is making a documentary about it, actually. Or they made a documentary. It's about to come out. And it's about this company with this woman who became the youngest self-made billionaire and with medical devices. But it's like one of the biggest fraud cases of all time. So the podcast is called The Dropout. And pretty interesting. I'm definitely kind of hooked on it. And... Yeah, I'm excited for the documentary to come out soon. But that is all we have for this week. We'll be back next week with our 10 Years Later Oscars where we will remember and acknowledge the films properly from 2008. So check back in next week for that. If you've enjoyed listening to us, you can go to iTunes or Spotify. Subscribe, rate, review us, go share us with your friends and family. Whatever you do on those platforms, do it for Popcorn Optional. If you want to know more about us, you can go to our website at popcornoptional.com. If you want to interact with us, the best place to do that would be on Twitter at popcornoptional. My name is Cameron Salina. You can find me online at 321 Time or on the movie social media app Letterboxd at C Salina. Trevor, where can we find you online? I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Turbo Trevor. 
Jake is online at jakebrown.tv. And in the words of Truman Burbank, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Y'all be good.